Welcome to the Cultural Humility Podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. We're an educational nonprofit based out of Montana and Arizona. This is a special series focusing exclusively on the cultural humility framework. This model is sourced from the Train the Trainer session taught by Dr. Melody Turbalon and Dr. Jan Marie Garcia, along with their published article. You can learn all about this through our website, indigenousvision.org slash cultural humility. That is also where you can learn more about our upcoming training sessions. Thank you for listening. Cultural Humility, People, Principles, and Practices. Hello and welcome to the Indigenous Vision Podcast. This will be the 10th installment of the Cultural Humility Series. I have a very, very special guest joining me today. Uh, Phoenix was one of our uh, members of our cohort back in the spring of 2022. And I loved your contributions to our conversations. We had a very white group. I'm going to just say it. We had a white group and it was really nice to hear a totally different perspective than the rest of our cohort. So why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of an introduction as to who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. So I go by the name Phoenix. I am currently living on Piscataway land in the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Um, I've been here for several months. I recently moved back here from Oakland, California, from Ohlone land, and I'm still adjusting and adapting. What do I do? So I have a long career in public health. And so I've worked in public health for 25 years. Um, I have a master's in social work from Howard University. And my work in public health has been working specifically around communicable diseases, infectious diseases, my whole career. I've worked as a trainer, as a direct case manager, and now I work on the federal level around policy. So that has been my kind of professional career in public health. And then um, 12 years ago, I was introduced to this Western field called eco-psychology and ecotherapy, and it happened at the same time that I was going through uh, a spiritual initiation um, into um, an Afro-Cuban earth-based religion called Lukumi that comes from the Yoruba people in Nigeria and those who were kidnapped and brought as slaves to this world. Um, The lineage that I come from is based in Cuba. And I was going through an initiation after being in the religion for many, many years, I was being initiated. Um, And so during that time, there were certain things that I could not do. I had taboos as an initiate. And so I went through a seven day ceremony and I could not, um, I had to wear white for a whole year. I could not be touched by strangers, physically touched. I couldn't be out at night. But one thing that I could do is that I could continue to be in nature. I would take walks in nature all the time. Then that's where I kind of I I was introduced to the to the Western Eurocentric field of eco psychology. And it just fit in with where I was in my life at that time. I was initiated into an an earth based culture and religion where all of my gods are associated with nature. So the river, the fresh water is known as the god Oshun. The ocean is known as the God Yemaya. Everything about everything around how I pray and connect in with the Creator is all connected to the natural world. And I found this field, and I started reading and studying about it. and And now, you know, twelve years later, 
I've created a, a I call it like a, an evolving project called the Alliance for Ecotherapy and Social Justice, because my experience, it's, it's a very, it's a field where it's a lot of settler descendants of settlers, right? And settler colonial people, white people um, on Turtle Island and, and Europeans. It's very popular in Europe, in, in the UK and in Italy. And it, it, it was just missing a key component. It was missing um, more than just doing land acknowledgements for indigenous people. It was missing relating relationships with, uh, in my tradition, we call indigenous people the only lay, the owners of the land, right? And so um, not only that, it was, it was really uh, missing any kind of depth regarding how people from different cultures experience the land and experience nature, that we are nature. It was, and so through my not only uh, practice as an ecotherapist in writing, but my, what's the word I'm looking for, where I, I, I like was being midwifed by the land, right? I, I was having these experiences where I was developing a, a sense of myself that I had not developed before. I was changing and it was and it was as a result of connecting in with with the land and then with my neighbors and community in Oakland. My neighbor um, is Native American and was an activist and building relationships with people in my community that had deeper relationships to the land. I was invited to ceremonies by indigenous people. And then me just doing more ceremony on the land, I started to change and, and transform how I moved in the world, how I thought about myself and how I thought about the land. Um, that's a long way to describe kind of how I am. And then I was led to the cultural humility training that you and Suta taught because I knew of cultural humility. And the more I was doing this work, I was like, you know, it's missing this, the key component, cultural humility. And then I looked up the, the, the root of the word humility, and it means from the earth, like hummus, humility. Hum, the Latin definition means from the earth. And I was just, I felt very blessed to be able to take the training from two indigenous women. I was like, oh, let me see what this is like, right? To take a cultural humility training. And then I showed up and it was me and maybe one, I think one other black woman and it was a bunch of white people from like the Midwest, some who you could see clearly had never, ever talked about race. And they were nervous. You could see that. And in my own experience, I kind of started having my own embodied experience in this space. And it was just a unique opportunity for me because I had never been, I had been in spiritual ceremony led by indigenous people, but I had never been in any kind of other training that was led specifically by indigenous women. And that was a, a blessing for me in, in opening around how the work, how humility is necessary for all of us, but around how the work that I'm doing, I really wanna connect in with more indigenous communities. And there was something you said, Melissa, that I, I will never forget you know, we were chatting and you were like, you know, people talking about being connected with the land, like we are the land. And that was like, yes, that's it. <laughs> right. And it, I will never forget that. Just the, the way that you said it, the passion and your, your tone and the way that you said it just opened up something more in me. 
And so I'm still, I'm still like midwifing my, my life to, to this new land that I am here, here in the DMV. And I'm having a lot of grief around missing the places that I spent a lot of time on in Oakland. And I, I li literally had a dream the other night that I was on the mountain, Mount Tam, which is stewarded by the Miwok, the coastal Miwok people. And I've done, I walked that mountain. I lived in Oakland for 14 years. So imagine going every week to places and every day. And I did ceremony on that mountain with my friend, Catherine, who's a Loney. And in the dream, I was on the mountain. I could smell the air and the bird, feel the birds. And in my dream, I was just bawling, crying. And I woke up and I was like, I missed that place. I never had experience like that before because I grew up moving around a lot. I grew up in South Texas and my ancestry is black and Mexican. So in San Antonio, Texas, which is a very, very much colonization, like ground that place in the ground between Catholicism, sort of white supremacy, like all the missions are there and there's a lot of mixture. So like my great grandfather was Mexican, Ignacio Cantu, he married my great grandmother who was black, had only been out of slavery, like not even one full generation. And so I come from that mix. So I have cousins that have Spanish names. I have cousins that you would think they look Mexican or they don't, you know. And so I grew up in this very oppressive environment that was all around militarization and oppression of the land and, and oppression of like even kind of pushing us from our, our cultural ties to the diversity of people in my family and into the land there, right? So I had a lot of trauma and that I grew up with, right? Through this journey of, I mean, I'm 54 now and I've done a lot of different things, but through this journey through I keep using the term for some reason, midwifing myself to the land wherever I am in combination with my spiritual initiation, it has opened up this whole way of healing for myself that I could have never have imagined like 14 years ago. And so here I am just learning and continuing to learn and, and to grow, but it's definitely a, a changing me a lot. <laughs> wow. What a beautiful dream. Thank you for sharing your dream story with me. The land literally visiting you in your yeah. dream, you know, coming to you through your heart, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. I love I love the fact that you do the, the this ecotherapy work because I was just Googling it before we went on because I'd never really explored that venue. But everything that I found was pretty white centered. And it was like you said, settlers discovering, oh, my goodness, if we connect yes. with nature, we have all these benefits. And I was just like, duh. So what has been your experience working in this field for you the past 12 years? How have you been kind of breaking all that down? Well, one is that I, there was so much I did not know about the history of the land. Like people talk about, you don't learn about Black history in school. You definitely don't learn about Indigenous history. You don't learn anything, right? And I was like, how can I be a middle-aged person <laughs> who has been involved in social justice in various ways throughout my life? who's an avid reader, and I don't know anything about the indigenous people of the land where I grew up or where I, wherever I'm living. 
And so for me, it was like, look, before I, before I turn on like the white people, what about me? What, what is it that I don't know? Right. Like now with climate collapse, you know, you see more and more people turning to the earth and, and more discussions around it, you know, and land back and indigenous rights. But that was not the case, you know, 10 years ago. That wasn't the case five or eight years ago. It wasn't part of the mainstream discussion. So for me, I had to humble myself. Wow, there's so much I don't know. There's so much I don't know around, you know, I know of the violence. I know of the violence and of genocide, right? I knew of that. I know that those things happened, but it was even deeper than that, right? It's even deeper than that. And how this whole field, I'm telling you, they will make you think that they have, like, like, like Columbus, they will make you think that they have discovered, you know, something new. And I would always say, you know, this is indigenous wisdom. It's just repackaged for the Western mind, right? Some people may not be able to get to a place where they, they understand all my relations, that you can actually have a relationship with the mountain. People may be like, what are you talking about, girl? right? Like, what does that mean? Some people, so they just use other Western language to help people open up to that, to that. But there is a huge, huge gap in one, lifting up Indigenous people and Indigenous wis wisdom. And it be, there's a lot of cultural appropriation. It's a, it's a space where it just doesn't feel good to me as a per, as the way that I walk my path. So, I put myself out there and it's not easy putting yourself out there because people come for you in various ways, right? Like, oh, you don't have a PhD, like the Western ways that we like judge people or, oh, you, you're not indigenous or, oh, you're this or you're that or, oh, I want to steal what you're saying. I have had that happen as well, where people want to take what I am putting out there. But the, the thing is, because I've worked in public health for a long, long time, that has been the advantage for me in this field in that I'm not a therapist, like a licensed therapist that works one-on-one -on -one with people. I'm also a mentor and a guide in my role as an initiated person. And I work with groups. And the people that come to me are usually younger people of color right, of various backgrounds. I've had um, Asian Pacific Islander people, you know, actually, I've had more non-Black people kind of come to me for guidance. And usually it all starts with their ancestors, that they know that there's this trauma in their ancestors. And so I'm weaving together basically my path, like how I've been able to heal. I'm just putting it, it's, it's nothing new. I'm just kind of putting it together in a way that um, speaks to the lived experience that I have. So one is I come from a family and ancestors of people that were involved in social justice movements. My father was um, involved in the civil rights movement. Um, he was a union organizer. So that's part of my blood. That's part of who I am, right? I'm also a queer person, and so I was socialized around the AIDS movement in the 90s when I was coming up as a young person, and I was mentored by people living with HIV that had no, no quote-unquote Western degrees, but were literally screaming and yelling at politicians for their life, and I, and I learned from women 
women of color who were living with HIV that no one wanted to talk to, no one wanted to help. So that is part of what comes in, you know, my that lens. And then I am also in this religion that comes from the diaspora, right, through people that survived. Like That's how I'm still here. So weaving all of those things in together and knowing how public health works. I know how it works. I know that there are ways that simple ways that where the public health are, you know, our whole systems are so not connected to ancestral natural ways of healing, which is why we're in this mess, right? And so I, I have ideas and knowledge and wisdom, and I put all of that together in a way that I hope speaks to people in a way, and I call it liberation ecotherapy. And the reason why I call it liberation ecotherapy is because it is not just about connecting in with the land as an object outside of us. It's about also connecting in with your own body and your own ancestors, but also connecting with the people in the communities, right? That, that are all part of the land, that are all part, part of nature. And it's really important that if we are really, I am on the side of building something new, right? If we're building new ways of, of or not even new, I don't want to say new, but I'm not focused so much on the collapse. I think sometimes we can get focused so much on the collapse, that's all we see. And so cultural humility is a path, is a way for me to be able to have these conversations because whenever you talk about the land, you are talking about genocide. You're talking about slavery. You're talking about just wanton killing of animals and plant. You're talking about violence and destruction. If you're really talking about it, you're, that's, what, that's where you're going to go, right? It's not just about, I'm going to take a forest walk. Like, hmm, where am I? Whose forest is this? How did this get to be this way? Like, you're going to hit that. And so then what do you do with it? Do you just keep going on and market it as like another just Western thing? I'll just go to the forest. Or do you move into the stories of the land? The land holds, holds, holds the ancestors. It holds all the, all the blood that has been shed is, is in the land. And the land also holds our medicine as well. And so you have to go in there. And that's where, for me, cultural humility comes in. Because I'm not just here to talk about, oh, okay, like there was a, this is, they're already medicalizing nature. This is how they're doing it. So there's studies, all these studies that are saying what we already know. There was a study that came out that said the prescription for the optimum time in nature where you can experience health benefits is 120 minutes a week. So they're already taking it and already turning it into medicalizing it, like using, I never use a word prescription, but people are like, oh, we want to, doctors should prescribe nature and the prescription for nature. Because for me, that's back to white supremacy, colonization, separating it and making it like this medical thing, right? And so for me, cultural humility, you, you need to have some skills and cultural humility if you're doing this work, right? Because all of the things intersect in the earth, all of the diversity of the people on the land, how we got to the land, whose land is this, the diversity of plants. I mean, a key principle in ecology is that nature thrives in diversity.
yet that's not how necessarily how the field and how the work is being promulgated in the world. And so I'm just doing my little part to say that what does cultural humility look like when you are doing any kind of earth-based work? What does that look like? I don't have the answer. Like, I know that it, it looks like for me, one of the things that we do at the Alliance is we have these things called dialogues where I bring in people, we dialogue about these issues because I don't have the answers, right? I know that it doesn't look like a bunch of white people talking about, oh, I feel better, like that's not it. And I know it doesn't look like just a bunch of black people talking, that's not it, right? Like how do we all come and bring our full selves and our ancestral histories and connection together without falling apart, without attacking each other, without getting sick because we're the person of color in the room and all the white people are just like wanting to put all their shit on us without, without the guilt. Like, how do we do that? And so cultural humility is a space for me that I found. I'm like, okay, here's a, here's like a container, a way to kind of have these conversations that, so that we are not repeating the same mistakes that, you know, many of our ancestors made. Right. So that's, that's, that's what liberation ecotherapy is to me. And so there are these five, I call them streams of liberation ecotherapy that I have found can be helpful in integrating things. So there's reciprocity. So there's looks like the spiritual principle that I know of reciprocity is you know, you never take something without giving in return. It's a mutual relationship. So it's not just about me going to the forest to have the forest heal me. What am I doing for the forest? That's like, that's a kind of healthy relationship I want to have. So there's reciprocity. And then there is restoration, right? We know that when we connect in with the land and we help the land, that like you can restore places that have been poisoned, that have been barren that there are actual things that we can do to restore it. And so many of us are barren, meaning wounded. All of us are so wounded. And connecting in with the land can be a place of restoring ourselves and restoring, when I say restoration, I really look at the word rest, like just to rest and to calm our central nervous system. You know, I, I, I experience anxiety like I have for 25 years, you know? And so when I am on the land, in the land, connecting, praying. For me, it's usually spiritual though. It's like praying. I feel a sense of rest. Like I feel a calmness. So restoration is one of them. And restoration covers many different things. And then there is the whole process of that I call repair. And reparation is part of that. So land back, indigenous, that's, that's reparations. Give the land back, like a practical give it back. But in reparation, there is repair. So how do we repair our relationships, all of our relationships in this, our relationships to the land, our relationships to our own body, our relationships to our ancestors and to our family. This culture humility is a way I think where we can begin to make some repairs of the tears that have happened in the, in the stream of our lives, right? Um, and then there's this whole thing around okay, you've gone through reciprocity, you've done restoration, you've done, you know, you're doing some repair work, then kind of like what comes after that. And I see one thing that comes after that is kind of a reimagining of, which is what I'm doing with my ecotherapy work. I'm reimagining how people get support for mental health, 
So working in public health and in the field, I know like my own personal story. I moved here. I had a therapist for a long time in Oakland, but she can't see me here because I'm in another state. I haven't been able to find a therapist and I have money and I have insurance, right? Because they're just, we, we hear the, what they're saying in the news is true. There's like not enough therapists. So instead of having people suffer by themselves in isolation, because the thing about depression and anxiety is that you isolate. I, I know I do, but that's a common thing. You isolate, you don't want people to see you. So instead of having people suffer in silence, in liberation ecotherapy, why can't they go to a liberation ecotherapy group in their neighborhood? Like at all these gardens, like you have a circle that's led by someone and, you know, okay, while you wait for a therapist, if that's what you need, here's a referral to this liberation ecotherapy circle. And we're sitting in the garden, right? And some, or we're taking a walk, like people are isolated and even more so with the pandemic. So that is how I see liberation ecotherapy as a way to provide support for people and also not just support, but really help us to navigate these conversations around cultural humility as they relate to the land, which when you relate anything to the land is everything. The land is everything. So that's what I'm trying to do, man. <laughs> it's a lot. Wow. Right? This is such a great conversation. I want to take a moment to share with you that Indigenous Vision is very proud to present our next cultural humility training. Enrollment is officially open. We will begin in 2023, January 17th. It is a 10-hour training. It's interactive. We will engage in dialogue and we will get to the heart of cultural humility and what it means to move forward in this work. January 17th to January 25th. We will meet every Tuesday and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Mountain Time via Zoom. If this is the type of training that you think you would benefit from or your establishment or organization, we would love to guide you through the Cultural Humility Framework. Indigenous Vision will facilitate with our female-led team. All the details are up right now in the description for this episode. IndigenousVision.org slash Cultural Humility. Let's get back to the podcast. It is a lot. And it's it actually just instills so much hope in me, you know, because I go out here, I live in the desert. I'm also a visitor in this part of Turtle Island. So I'm constantly mindful of where my steps are going. But I, I constantly see people trying to connect with the nature out here, trying to be in the desert, you know, doing the sound baths, having the yoga, but nobody wants to talk about the actual history of the land. Everybody wants to receive and take and take and take, mm -hmm. but nobody wants to really soak up what everything means. How do you approach that when you have a, a group, maybe mm -hmm. are people just expecting it to be just fluffy and woo woo? Mm -hmm. Does it hit them hard when they realize, whoa, this well, land if they're is coming to me, then they know it's not going to be like that because they know that that's not how I roll. Right. So they know that 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 we're going to be getting into to, to the deepness of it all. And so the way that I do it is I really ask people to connect in with their own ancestors first. Like just have just think about and reflect on how did your ancestors come to this place? How did you get to wherever this place is? How did they get here? What made them, you know, starting with the self and just reflecting on that first. Right. And I have found in my 12, 13 years of doing this work, no matter what the group is, whenever I do that, people open up, people get emotional, they start crying, 
for non-white people, I found that they connect in through food. So they start remembering, they start remembering their ancestors around the foods that they either grew or that they ate. Like that is a common thing I have found in my 12 or 13 years with non-white people is that it's always food. They'll say, oh yeah, my grandmother used to make this and pick this and grow this or my grandfather or my auntie, right? Um, which is interesting. They don't talk about, oh, we used to go camping or hiking. It's always, it's always food. You know, I also have been very fortunate. I have built relationships with some white people that are really working on healing the damage that their ancestors did. So we had a dialogue um, a few weeks ago with my friend Louise, who's in her 80s and is a fifth generation Californian and her ancestors participated in the racism and genocide of Northern of Napa, that, that the Wapo people in that part. They have land there, all of that. And for 20 something years, she's been unpacking that and doing work around that. And she recently wrote this book about it. And one of the things that she said was that She's like, and she's in her 80s, mind you. So she's an elder. She's seen a lot. And I've been to the land that her family owned. Melissa, when I talked to you how beautiful it was, I'm like, it's, I was like, wow. I had never been around white people that had that kind of wealth before. Like, I'd never seen that. And in California, I met quite a few white people that had access to land. And that was a new thing for me. I was like, what? And I mean, and it's just the wealth, like the the reparations that are due the people look it, it it it's generations of reparations they could never pay enough money they could never ever but one of the things that she said she's like she's also a spiritual woman and she is a person that follows Thich Nhat Hanh the lineage the Buddhist lineage of Thich Nhat Hanh which is how I I met her at a meditation retreat she said she found that without a spiritual practice that she could not do this work and what I found and many of the white people that will come to things that I hold is that they don't have any spiritual practice. They have no connection to the creator. And I just don't think you can do this work and not have a connection to the creator because you're going to fall apart. You're not going to have the courage to step into it. And, you know, Louise said that she's like, you know, I did not grow up praying. I did not. It wasn't until I was in a full grown adult that I found my spiritual path and through meditation and through the rituals from Thich Nhat Hanh, it has allowed me to go deeper and deeper. She, you know, in writing this book, she talked about she got sick because it's hard stories, you know, like it was all coming through her. And I have found that the, the, the settler colonial people that I would meet, that they don't have a spiritual, like they have, they culturally appropriate things, <laughs> right? Or, but as far as like a real solid core, of a connection to the creator, that is something that in my work, just in my work, I'm not talking about all white people, people listening out there in podcast land, but in my work, I have seen that they don't have a spiritual core. They don't have a deep connection to the creator. And without that, it's difficult to go into the truth, into the reality of all, of all that the land holds. Without that, it's just performative. Without that, it's just surface and you're just continuing to repeat the same dysfunctions over and over because you don't even have an internal container to be able to hold it, right? Exactly. Because you intellectualize it or it's materialistic for you, right? It's an intellectual materialistic thing and there's no connection to the core of the creator. And it's hard to, to do this work if you don't have those, if you don't have that 
those practices, prayer, meditation, ceremony, like if you don't have that and you're not doing it consistently for years and years, you, you, you're not going to be able to go into the fire with this work. Incredible. I love what you do. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come on here. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about, about what you do? Oh, they can find me at uh, the AESJ.com, which is the Alliance for Ecotherapy and Social Justice. And they can also find me. My own website is ecosowisdom.org. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Phoenix Smith, and you can find me there as well. Yeah. So th- thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Cultural Humility Podcast presented by Indigenous Vision. If you would like to sign up for one of our trainings or find out when our next training is, visit our website, indigenousvision.org slash cultural humility. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Indigenous Vision, an educational nonprofit, and on Instagram at Indigenous Vision Media. Visit the show description for this episode to find all the links for more on cultural humility. 